Så in Swedish first. Amen sorry ditt hjärta gömmer som du aldrig glömmer. Vandrande på tönestig. Marie, hur än världen dömer. Come to me, Teddy. Well, hello and welcome to Essay Life, the podcast, episode one. My name is Penny Yap. I'm the editor of Essay Life magazine. And my guest today is Marie Johnson Harrison. Whether you know Marie best from her successful career as a visual artist or from her days as an international model during the 1970s and 80s, I can guarantee there's a lot about Marie that you don't know. Marie, welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's good to see you again. <laughs> Lovely to see you too, Pen. Now, Adelaide has been your home for many years now. Yes. But you're originally has. you're originally from Sweden. Yes. Yes, yes, I am. We emigrated from Sweden uh, when I was 13, just mm-hmm. about to uh, turn 14. And I have really loved living here. I think it's a fantastic <laughs> place. Do you remember what your first impressions of Australia were? Yes. We first came to Sydney and we were staying at the hotel, uh, not hotel, hostel <laughs> Endeavour. Uh, and that was in South Coogee in, in uh, Sydney. And it was a fabulous hostel. And that, and that was back in 1972 when I believe there were quite a lot of immigrants coming to Australia. Yes. So ex- you were in a fairly multicultural place once you arrived. Yes, yes, we were. And we came on a plane, uh, a chartered plane from Sweden, mm-hmm. complete with, uh, you know, a bunch of Swedish people. So there was a big... Um, contingent of of Swedes there as well as, you know, people from all over the world. And it was exciting. It was was wonderful. It must have been an exciting time. And so after a few months, your family moved down to Adelaide. I believe your parents uh, bought some land and a a home package here. Yep. Uh, But first you moved to an apartment in Tlemcic. But I understand that you didn't immediately warm to Adelaide, did you, at the time? No, because... In Sydney at the hostel, I had mm-hmm. taken up with a boy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, As good teenagers do. Yes, this is yes. right, a Scottish boy. And he came with us down. My parents were very liberal, mm-hmm. being Swedish. And, okay, you know, Marie's in love. Um, she's allowed to take the boyfriend with her. Mm-hmm. So he came and lived with us in Clemsey. But, of course, all our friends were in Sydney and, you know, we didn't know anyone in Adelaide, and so it was. Uh, we were a little bit naughty and uh, jumped out the window one night, uh, left some Easter eggs on the bed for my mum and dad. <laughs> Obviously, it was Easter time, and we took the train to Melbourne, and that's where we ran out of money. So we had to hitchhike. We were on our way to Sydney. So we hitchhiked from the train station to the airport and we got picked up by the police. Oh, dear. Um, But at uh, 14, I looked more like 20. And I'm glad that sort of didn't continue with (laughs) (laughs) looking much older. Um, So uh, the police didn't you know, um, say anything or do anything. They very kindly drove us to the airport and uh, sort of said you shouldn't be hitchhiking and take on care. A freeway, and, yes. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> on the freeway especially. I sat there for a day uh, while my boyfriend flew to Sydney. Uh, his parents paid for his ticket in Sydney and he went up and he went around with a hat and, and asked all his mates 
to cough up a few <laughs> dollars <laughs> to fly me up. And uh, I was on the la- very last flight um, up to Sydney. And um, yeah, so that was the start of the adventure. And I was away for, I think, six to eight months. What an extraordinary story. I mean, as a, <laughs> as a fairly young teenager, yes. you <laughs> had the courage to jump out of the bedroom window and run away to Sydney with a boyfriend. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, I look back upon it and I think, my God, how did you survive? But mm. I thought I was an adult. Well, you thought you were 20. That's what you told the police. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I could talk my way out of anything. And and, um, I talked my way into a a very good job at Angus and Robertson's bookshop as a uh, file clerk. And then I got elevated to a comptometrist, which was the very first sort of computer thing. wasn't quite a computer, but something similar in those days. And... um, yeah, I loved working there. It was lots of fun. All the time living with your boyfriend and pretending to be 20. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an incredibly exciting life for a 14-year-old, a big adventure, as you say. Yep. But uh, the relationship with your boyfriend deteriorated, didn't it? And ultimately, you became the victim of some domestic abuse. Yes, yes, unfortunately so. He was a very lovely boy. And as long as I loved him and I was happy, you know, for us to be a couple, he was lovely. Mm-hmm. But once I decided that this wasn't for me long term and I needed a bit of freedom and I met some girlfriends and I wanted to, you know, explore life a bit more, mm-hmm. he got very controlling and uh, didn't like that at all. And um, I was in a few very hairy situations and got beaten up. And yeah, so it was traumatic at the time. It must have been terrifying. I mean, there you were practically, I mean, you had some girlfriends, as you say, but practically alone in Sydney with this guy. Yes, exactly. I didn't, I couldn't run to my parents and tell them and I I didn't want to worry them in any case. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had to deal with it alone and I had help from I met a new boy and somehow or another, this uh, original boyfriend would turn up at the most crazy Mm. times and he must have been following me all along, but I didn't really realise. But uh, you eventually escaped him by jumping out of a moving vehicle. Yes. On a freeway. I mean, this it's, it's such a scary story. And of course, you now have a beautiful daughter of your own, the lovely Hillary. Yes. How would you feel if she was going through something similar at oh. the age you were, the tender age of 14? Yes. I would, you know, absolutely hate that. And mm-hmm. for any young girl or for any woman mm-hmm. um, to find themselves in such a predicament, I think it's also very hard to spot uh, who is going to turn into a nasty and controlling person. It's not always um, really evident Mm. to start with. And I think that's a problem for a lot of women, Mm -hmm. that they get themselves involved in the situation and then they find out, you know, a year later. That's right. Um, I mean, as you said yourself, you were in love. Yes. And you were young, of course. And yeah. I think it's if that is a situation where a, a man who does have controlling tendencies and violent tendencies, that's really a, a perfect storm, isn't it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important uh, for women to have their own independence, mm-hmm. to keep some money aside, to not ever let a man... Um, convince you to uh, not see your family or your Mm. friends or 
you know, keep contact and think about a few strategies. Yes, mm. and make some good friends. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, eventually you did make your way back to Adelaide again. I did. Uh, and by this time, your parents' home in Hope Valley had been built. So yes. So this was another new beginning, of course. <laughs> and you used to have a local hangout then, didn't you, in those days? I did. I used to love going to the Paraka Hotel. The Paraka Hotel. <laughs> that was the place to be in 1974. It was because all the good bands came there. So we were absolutely spoiled in those days. Sherbet played mm-hmm. there. Um, Skyhooks, The Angels, ACDC, Cold Chisel. Really? Yes. It was quite a band culture, I think, in South Australia in those days. I mean, it still is, of course, but particularly back then, live music was really, there was no comparison. No, exactly. Mm. No, it was fantastic. And I love dancing. Ah. I have always loved dancing. So, you know, that was my highlight of the week. Mm Mm-hmm to go and and, uh, spend the entire night on the dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. But uh, one night you saw this cute guy across the room, didn't you? Yes. Who was that? I did. Well, (laughs) this boy's name was Brian. Mm -hmm. So he was very tall, curly hair. Mm -hmm. And what made him stand out to me was that he seemed to be looking after another boy or, or young man in a wheelchair. And it turned out to be his brother, Trevor, Uh and he has cerebral palsy. And I just thought to myself that this is very unusual because, you know, teenagers, they don't want to be seen to be different or hang around with people that may not be, you know, cool or trendy or whatever. Right, especially in a pub. Especially in a pub. But this boy... um, Brian was looking after his brother and and buying him beers and taking him to the toilet and, you know, helping him all around. And in between that, he came up and asked me for a couple of dances. Uh So (laughs) I thought, okay, there's something special about this boy. (laughs) Well, it obviously was because you've really been together pretty much ever since. Yes, 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 we have. Yeah, (laughs) it's uh, quite a while now. (laughs) Of course, you're still only 21. That's right. Yes. Now, you, you know this for yes, sure. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> now, your modelling days began when you were 17 with the Beach Girl Quest in Adelaide, didn't they? And your photograph ended up in the local paper and someone spotted you and gave you a call. Yes. <laughs> well, it was in the, um, the news, which was the equivalent paper to the advertiser in those days. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from Tanya Powell. Uh-huh. who started my career um, in Adelaide, a fantastic friend uh, right to this day. Mm-hmm. She had just started her own modelling agency. Yes, it must have been early in her career too. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, that, that's right. I think, you know, she had been modelling for a while and, mm-hmm. and she had worked for Pam Ellis, who had a modelling agency. And uh, then she decided to go out on her own, so... Yeah, no, it was absolutely fantastic. And I worked in Adelaide for, you know, quite a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, I went to Melbourne and signed up with Vivian's Modelling Agency and then uh, worked in Melbourne and Sydney. And then that eventually led to going overseas. Yes. And enjoyed Uh, Europe, working in London and Germany and Switzerland, Hmm. Sweden, Spain. um, All over the world. All over. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I gather that you and Tanya particularly had some entertaining times in the Philippines. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> I had come from uh, Europe where there was Learjets and champagne mm-hmm. and, and... The high life. The high life. And then I came back to Adelaide and we went for a, a tour to the Philippines. Miss Tanya, you are yes. my absolute mother hen, or you were the mother hen of all of us girls, even though that you weren't that much older than us. I had to. We were in a very strange city back in the very early 80s. Huge responsibilities with a dozen young, gorgeous-looking girls being in a very poor country but we of course were looked after and I guess the bills were paid for by a group of very wealthy young men who probably were sons of the at the time corrupt family businesses backed by Marcos in those days and we (laughs) we were entertained rather luxuriously by this group of young men whom I had to watch like a hawk in very (laughs) stylish settings such as their private islands and their amazing homes in Forbes Park. And if you remember, we would travel uh, via their private Learjet and their helicopters uh, all by boat. Uh, That's right. They're they're amazing yachts that were, you know, the size of a eight-story house. And, oh, absolutely, the wealth was amazing, wasn't it? Each household would have about... 20 maids. That's yes. what we couldn't believe. And do you remember we went to Bong Bong's birthday party, Imelda Marcus's son? It was never a boring moment, was it? No, but I think that we were all very aware of the great divide of the rich and the poor at that time. You know, it was very confronting and you could never escape from it. I, I, I used to feel quite guilty and... and angry uh, about you know the um, the difference between the the rich and the poor the rich and the poor and, that's very and, true and do you remember that there was yes, a girl yes. outside the Salahis hotel that sold flowers I sort of um, felt very sorry for her and I snuck her into uh, my hotel room one night because uh, she'd never had a bath and so I managed to get her in up through the you know, we uh, the pool area and then into my yep. floor. And I gave her a bubble bath and I also ordered um, a beautiful oh, meal. Lovely. And she had the best time. How <laughs> lovely, Tanya. I didn't actually know that that happened. So I got into very big trouble. Do you remember we also went on tour and took it to some of the islands and some of the cities outside of Manila? Yeah, no, there were the days. Good and bad. Yes. It was a, a a different type of life experience. I think we all came to appreciate little old Adelaide and its predictability and its security. <laughs> the Jungle Fever tours, those were clothes by Mark Halliday, is that right? The Adelaide designer. Yes, yes, uh-huh. that's right. So Tanya had organised that, uh, well, Tanya and Julie, and uh, to use an Adelaide designer, and um, they were, you know, fabulous clothes mm-hmm. and um, good fun to um, show the Filipino people yes. um, who came along to all the shows. Well, I wonder if he yeah. still has a big following in the Philippines. Yes. I'll have to ask. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you were modelling for other brands as well, such as Fendi, Fiorucci, T. 
Thierry Mulga, Issey Miyake, and of course the famous Selfridges department store over in the UK. Yep. But in 1981, a very unusual opportunity came up for you, and you found yourself on the cover of Playboy magazine. Yes. How did that come about? <laughs> well, uh, that was while I was living in Sydney, and so I uh, just had a, um, a call um, or a job booked to, to work for Playboy, and they wanted me to do the cover, but just my head on I see. the cover. Uh-huh. So I said, yes, um, I you know, that that would be okay. I don't mind doing that. <laughs> and it was with a photographer uh, that was over from uh, Chicago. Oh, That's the head office over the in head Chicago. Of, yeah, yeah, the head office. So he came over and he um, was really, really lovely, a lovely guy. And I did a few different shoots with him. He worked for a few other magazines as well. Um, and uh, yes, we did the cover and, and that was successful. And after that came out, I was then asked, you know, they had uh, fan letters had been <laughs> written in to say, why why don't I do a uh, centrefold? And I was offered twice the fee of what the current fee at, in those days was. Wow. Um, which was a little bit tempting, but uh, <laughs> I thought, no, I'm uh, concentrating on being a fashion model, so I'll stay with that. Thanks. How funny. How did it feel to have fan letters from Playboy readers? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, (laughs) it was nice for the ego. And then in 1982, that was a very big year for you, wasn't it? Yes, as it turned out, it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I I came back to Australia because I would come back, do these tours to the Philippines, and then I'd fly back to Europe Mm -hmm. and then come back to see my parents for Christmas. And I came back again and um, I was supposed to go to model in New York. I had a contract with Elite Modeling Agency. Wow. So I just came home for a little while and then I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boyfriend, who I had met at Paraka Hotel. The wonderful with, Brian. The wonderful Brian had been laying low for a couple of years waiting. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, when I came back, he then asked me to marry him. And uh, he promised if I did, he would take me to America. And he kept that promise, but it took him 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) So you eventually went to America, but 25 years later, and with your two children in tow. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So it wasn't quite the the, uh, holiday I had thought, but it was much nicer, I have to say. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And um, yes, so that year then I um, won the South Australian Model of the Year. That's a big honour. Yes, very much so. And then that went on to be, uh, I went on to become the Australian Model of the Year and that was uh, held in Darwin. So uh-huh. that was a week up in Darwin and fantastic, uh, made some fantastic friends and had a wonderful time. And yeah, and then after that, I uh, sort of thought, well, in those days, um, mm-hmm. I had, I felt I had done everything that Australia had to offer and I'd been overseas and I had lived a high life. Yes. It was time like to it. do something else. So So you quit yeah. modeling. Yeah. Yes. You quit at the top, didn't you? That's yeah, for sure. That that was the idea. I had mm-hmm. sort of seen girls who kept on working and then their work dried up slowly and slowly and slowly uh-huh. and they sort of felt unfulfilled or unhappy and so I thought, no, no, I'll finish on top. Mm-hmm. 
but I never actually quite finished. No. I'm still a model to this day. <laughs> well, so. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, you know, I dabble in it now, so it's, mm. yeah, so it's different. Yeah, so I, I thought, okay, what shall I do now? And uh, went to beauty school and uh, learned to become a beauty therapist and then ended up opening a beauty salon with my mother. Oh, here in Adelaide? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And that was Marie Johnson's Beauty Works? Yes. Goodwood Road, was it? Yes, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and we ran that for about three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, Brian and I bought a renovated church uh, in Malala. And uh, I had a, a long drive to go to work you every day. You certainly did, from Malala <laughs> down to Goodwood Road. Yes, yes, that's right. But I did that and um, then I became pregnant and uh, Tanya's husband was my obstetrician gynecologist. That would be Jack, of course. That would be Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack. (laughs) Oh, cute. (laughs) Yes. So um, as it turned out then, he put me to bed rest because I had problems with my pregnancy and, you know, was threatening to perhaps lose the baby, unfortunately. Mm. Um, But uh, I stayed home and I, I was trying to stay still and, and uh, lay around a lot mm-hmm. and um, was a little bit hard when you're pregnant and you're nesting and you want the house all nice. And of course. And that's really when your next and long-lasting career in art actually began, quite by accident, in a nice story that involves your brother. Hello, my darling brother. I was just thinking about the fact that I started my painting career, a big part thanks to you, because of uh, the mural that had to be painted on the nursery wall. Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, you know, me having to go away on tour that uh, left you with an unfinished... I, I can't even remember what the actual scene was I think it had something to do with some trains going through tunnels I could yes. be wrong but no. uh, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did so, <laughs> so otherwise am I. I haven't got the stories to tell my friends about how you started doing art oh uh, really do you tell some people about that do you <laughs> I, I, I tell I, I tell pretty much everyone about how you got into art oh so, yeah. really yeah well it was yeah, a complete yeah. accident it, wasn't it <laughs> well it's a, gr- a great story I mean you know when you're trying to inspire other people to to get into art then you know whatever gateway it was for you it was that's what it is you know for anyone people might start very late in their life for one reason or another and some people you know never thought they'd be good at something until they had the opportunity to try or were given that practical reason to finish it like say for instance the nursery you know it needed to be finished so probably more than anything it was like well I'm going to do the job you're saying to yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Do you know what Matt I was um, just thinking as you were talking I've always thanked my dad or our dad so much uh, because I feel it, it was his encouragement and, and love and support always that uh, got me started in art, but perhaps Absolutely. just by accident, there was a, a, a really uh, big thanks that I should be giving to you because if it wasn't for you not finishing that mural, uh, I would look, not I, I be think, here. I, I think Dad was probably the, the biggest part of it. I was just the, uh, the trigger perhaps yeah you know yeah um it it was a way for you to also 
be able to be a, a part of Dad's life and interest, and it, you know the excitement of of that sort of thing was always there, and and you just needed a catalyst, a little kick into falling into that love. Yeah, that a kick up the had, butt. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, no, no one did the kicking. Um, I just had to go away. That's, yes, that's that right. <laughs> Amazing! What an extraordinary yeah. revelation! Cause, yeah, I mean, knowing you now, it, you're such a natural artist to me. It, it wouldn't—it wouldn't occur to me that you didn't always want to be an artist. Yes, no, but you just—you found it quite by accident, really. Absolutely amazing. If it hadn't been for my brother, <laughs> being lazy <laughs> or being busy. Yes, being busy, I would never have been an artist. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, and then of course. I was encouraged by my father, so, you know, my father, uh, my biggest supporter. Yes, that's right, um, your number one fan. Yes, absolutely, who then went and made me an art box and uh, bought me paints and brushes and canvases mm -hmm. in all different sizes and said, you know, you keep going, girl, you, you're doing good. So I kept on painting away and, and uh, I would have friends that would come to the church after, you know, my son Kai was born and say, what have you painted this week? And yeah. they'd come and have a look and, you know, some people would laugh and some people... <laughs> <laughs> good friends you have. <laughs> yes, that's right. And sort of think, ha-ha, Marie, you know, she's so funny, she's painting away. And some other people would say, oh, I really like that. Uh, can I buy it? So mm -hmm. I sold a few to friends. And then my father said, when I had a few together, he said, Marie, you've got something here. Your style is naive. Um, you should try to, to get gallery. And so dad was uh, obviously represented with a gallery, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to go and hang off his shirt tails. I wanted to be acknowledged for my own of course, work. Because your father, Teddy, is a sculptor, in fact. Yes. Isn't he? Yes, yes. that's right. Yes, he did very well as a, a sculptor and, mm -hmm. and painter as well, artist mm -hmm. as well. So I thought, okay, I will get the yellow pages back in those days where there was yellow pages. There was no Google back then, <laughs> <I know>. was there? <laughs> so I got the yellow pages and... I rang every single gallery in the whole of the Yellow Pages, bar two. Wow. And every single one of them, um, I didn't say who I was or try to, you know, uh, say anything about my father or mm -hmm. my modelling career or whatever else. Mm -hmm. I just said, I've started to paint and, you know, I've got some paintings. Can I come and show you? Every single one said no, sorry, we're not interested in very toffy voices. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. And I could not get an appointment with anybody. And then I had left two galleries to the very last because they were the two top galleries. Mm -hmm. So it was Benithan, run by Kim Benithan, and the other one was Jim Elder. And I thought, okay, I'll try Jim Elder first, mm -hmm. Elder's Fine Art Gallery. And I got Jim on the phone and uh, he said, yes, sure. I always look at artists' work, uh, but I can tell you right now that we're totally busy and mm -hmm. we, 
I don't think we would be taking on any other artists, but I never miss an opportunity to, to at least take a look. So he made a time for me to come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I arrived at the time and he had a very snotty look on his face (laughs) (laughs) and said, "Uh, um, I'm very, very busy, but if you can come in quickly and put your paintings, you know, along the walls in this room, Mm -hmm. I will come and deal with you when I have some time. And so I went back and forth to the car and carried my 14 works in, some large, some small, Mm -hmm. and placed them along the walls. And uh, eventually Jim came in and he looked at them for a long time, each one studying them, and he had a very grumpy face. (laughs) And I thought, this is not going so good. (laughs) This is not going well. (laughs) This is not going well. And then he said, pointed at one and he said, "Uh, how much is that one? And I said, oh, uh, I don't know. And he said, oh... I reckon $800. What do you think of that? And I said, oh, oh, yes, that sounds good. (laughs) Not having any idea, not knowing what he was talking about in any case. Mm -hmm. And then um, he pointed at another and said, what about that one? Uh, I reckon 400. What do you think of that? And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And another one, 1,500. Wow, okay. And I said, Oh, yes, it sounds very good prices. And then he said, okay, so if you're happy with those prices, he he priced everything, if Mm -hmm. you're happy with those prices, I will buy that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one, counted up 10. I will buy those outright and give you a cash check today. Wow. And the other four I will put in uh, to my exhibition that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. And they all sold them. That's how it all started. That's extraordinary. <laughs> but your work has been used on everything from coffee cups to bed linen. And you've illustrated a couple of children's books as well. Is yes, that right? Yes, I have. And that was lots of fun too. Mm-hmm. I really, really relished um, illustrating the, the children's book books. Uh, the first one was by a author called Jan Gabler-Smith. And the book was called Winston Knows. And it's a lovely tale about a cat and a dog. Uh-huh. And the dog gets to go for walks, but the cat doesn't. <laughs> but there's a twist to the story. And oh. apparently it's very well borrowed at all the libraries. It's nearly always out. So that's very nice to hear. <laughs> oh, adorable. I'm going to go and look for Winston and see if he gets to go for a walk. In yes, the end. <laughs> that's right. And the other book is called Meltdown Moments. And that's written by Anne Swed Williams, who is a very well-known psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And that book uh, uh, is available through Women's and Children's uh, Hospital, uh-huh. Women's and Children's Foundation. And that is uh, about a family in crisis. Good heavens. Um, so it's a, a family and um, they, you know, are having a tough time. So it was a, an important book to be part of. Now, I'd like to talk about your style for a moment because you said that your father, Teddy, figured out that you have a style called naive art. Yes. What does that mean exactly? So naive art is a genre, uh, and it's uh, a genre like postmodernism or impressionism or realistic mm-hmm. art. Uh, but the naive art is a um, innocent 
art. It's often colourful. Mm -hmm. It often deals with what's happening in the world. It is uh, uh, related in a little bit, I suppose, to either folk art or um, outsider art. Mm. But yes, it's often colourful and bright and, and has an innocence. Yes. And it's uh, someone that is untrained too, as lots of artists are in all the other genres too. True. Um, but yeah. But and it doesn't mean naive in the head. It no. <laughs> no, it certainly doesn't. It's actually, it's a, it's a very well-followed style globally, isn't it? Yes. Because you've exhibited all over the world now. Yes, yes, I have. And uh, in uh, Paris or in France, Henri Rousseau, uh, he was discovered by Picasso, and he was one of the uh, forefathers, I suppose, of naive art oh. in a, in um, Europe. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. It's and I later did an exhibition in his honour, uh, represented Australia for the 100-year anniversary exhibition in Normandy My in goodness. France. So That's that was an honour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's funny to me that you you know you first went over to Europe and did all these tours <clears throat> and modeling shows and now you're going back again with your art to yes. tour Europe with your own shows. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. And not only that, but I ended up being on the covers with uh, <clears throat> both my firstly as a model and then covers with my art. So <laughs> you know it's quite a, a strange way to for your career to to sort of Yes, it's span. I it's suppose. full circle, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> cover yeah. girl to cover girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago, your, t your father Teddy passed away. Yes. And he was a biggest, a huge influence in your life, and your biggest supporter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was always encouraging. He was the kindest man, and uh, his friends said that he was the most educated man that had never been to university. <laughs> So he was uh, uh, a great reader and um, he was an absolutely lovely man, mm -hmm. kind and loving. So very fortunate to, to have had such a beautiful father. Yes. And I believe it was actually Teddy's idea to come to Australia in the first place. Yes, it was. Um, he loved traveling. Mm. Um, my mum loved traveling as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and they both had traveled quite a bit. And we did, when I was little, we'd travel around Europe and, and went on different holidays. And my dad um, really thought, let's em emigrate to Australia. I think he actually came home one day. He worked as a carpenter at the time in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And he had been building a house and it was a snowstorm and it was freezing cold, below mm -hmm. 20 degrees. And he had been hammering away and the hammer broke in half. Wow. Because it was so cold. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he thought, this is time. <laughs> and went home and, and convinced my mother, who at that time was ripe on, for the idea as well. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that was, that was the catalyst to move to somewhere warmer. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after Teddy passed away, you found something that he wrote for you, didn't you? Yes, so we were packing up our house because mm -hmm. we were going to move house and I had a big box of letters and um, school books and, and things from my childhood in Sweden mm -hmm. and I was going through it all and thought I can't take all of this with me, you know, you've got to sort things out. 
and uh, I'm going through um, all the letters and I find a poetry book. And it was a book uh, that in those days when I was in school in Sweden, you wrote a little poem and you got all your school friends mm -hmm. to write a little poem. Uh, Roses are red, violets <laughs> are blue, you're cute and so are you, and, you know, <laughs> whatever they were. So I, I uh, had a flick through and I, you know, thought it was cute and mm -hmm. read them all and and then I thought, but, you know, you can't keep everything. And I didn't even know who half these people were anymore. I didn't remember, mm. you know, Long more time. than a couple of people. And then I turned the next page and there was this beautifully illustrated page from my father in, in colour. Um, and uh, he had written a poem. And, of course, I cried buckets of course. because this poem was written for me. Oh. Yes. And you hadn't remembered it was there. It was just no. a surprise to come across it. Yes. It was like he was saying hello mm -hmm. from heaven wow. at the time. Yeah. And I believe he'd actually written the poem backwards. Yes. And that's, yes. that's something he taught you to do? Yes, that's right. So he had written it in a mirror. Mm -hmm. So it's mirrored. So you need to, to um, put a mirror next to it to be able to read it. <laughs> and it was written in uh, Swedish as well mm -hmm. and in a mirror. So, you know, but I, the minute I saw it, I knew, ah, it's in a mirror. Yes. And I got a mirror and um, then I was able to read it. Would you like me to read it I'd to you? I'd love to hear it. <laughs> so, in Swedish first. Om en sorg ditt hjärta gömmer som du aldrig glömmer Vandrande på törnestig Marie, hur än världen dömer Kom till mig, Teddy. Oh, it sounds beautiful in Swedish. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and my translation, um, I've got a couple, but I'll read you the one that mum and I agreed on mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, if your heart harbors a sadness, it can't forget, wandering on the path of thorns. Marie, if you are harshly judged, come to me, Teddy. Oh, it's beautiful. And you found that just after your father had passed away. It must have been incredibly emotional for you. Yes. Yes. And even now. <laughs> oh, dear. But it was so meaningful to you that you decided to have it with you always, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And you absolutely. had it made into a tattoo. I did. Mm -hmm. So I took the, uh, the last sentence, mm -hmm. starting with Marie, uh, if you are harshly judged, come to me. And um, on my dad's uh, birthday... So the 22nd of March, my daughter and I mm -hmm. went to a tattooist and I had um, this uh, tattooed in the same script, script as my father. So they, you know, copied it completely mm -hmm. and the tattooist did a, a wonderful job. And my daughter, she had a, a teddy bear, a very small little teddy bear sitting on a moon with another little teddy bear looking at the stars on her ankle. <laughs> and that my father's name, obviously, was Teddy. Teddy so, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> so if you ever see a mad 
person in in the, in a supermarket or walking down the stair the street who is kissing her wrist madly that's me <laughs> <laughs> because I say hello to him so often and and uh, give him a kiss so many times a day <laughs> well it's a lovely memory to have yeah <laughs> now Marie do you have any final thoughts for us I do have uh, just um, something, um, and that's that I hope that I remain curious, open to new possibilities, grab opportunities with both hands, mm-hmm. keep my loved ones close, love deeply and be loved in return, and still be the last one on the dance floor, <laughs> just like my mother when she, at 82, left the young men for dead on the dance floor at my daughter's recent wedding. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. what I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can predict that you'll be the last one on the dance floor at your grandchildren's wedding. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you for listening. My guest today has been Marie Johnson Harrison. You can read more of Marie's story in the July issue of Essay Life magazine, which is on sale at newsagents and select Woolworths stores now. Join us next time on Essay Life, the podcast as we meet some more of the extraordinary people of South Australia.